This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. To get your free audiobook trial, go to audibletrial.com forward slash watch out for fireballs. That's right. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash watch out for fireballs. My name is Gary Butterfield. My name is Cole Ross. And you are listening to Watch Out for Fireballs Extrasode. Where we ask or, you to reach out and touch the materia inside of us. Yes, touch the Genova inside us. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Genoa uh, in a biblical sense. <laughs> Genoa, um, I mean. Yeah, <laughs> Genoa and me crazy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so this is a long uh, Extrasode where we're going to read all of your responses about uh, Final Fantasy VII. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so let's go ahead and just jump right into it. Um, Cole, do you want to take the first one? Let's do this thing. So Samuel Anderson via Facebook says, Because you asked, the PC version of FF7 is good. Controller support was a bit wonky, but the main thing that bugs me is a Steam achievement for reaching climatic parts of the game for the first time, uh, and for the first time you use every limit break. Just unnecessary distractions. And you still can't turn off achievement notifications because question mark question mark question mark referring to bewilderment and not the question mark question mark question mark enemy skill yeah i believe (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i've stated my opinion on achievements a thousand times yeah like it has nothing to do with the game so don't do it Mm -hmm. like i'm only interested in the artifact you know like i don't need to be attaboyed for things yeah, uh, like this is part of a larger discussion that's like that's been had here. But I've heard people express discontent that the PC version wasn't updated more, like saying um, that they that they're a little bit miffed that they didn't up- upgrade the music from MIDI uh, or upgrade the character models and things like that. I think that there would have been a full scale revolt if they touched the music. Yeah, it's I mean, the best way to do any of that stuff is like the Monkey Island special editions where oh, it's a yeah. toggle and you can do either or. Yeah. You know, and I can see why people would want the game to look better and people, but there's mods for it too. If people are angry about that, like it's pretty oh, easy really? to install mods that, yeah, oh yeah, they look great. There's a one that turns all of the walking around models into the battle models more or less. Oh wow. So it looks like Final Fantasy VIII. That, um, that would be sweet actually. I yeah. Like that check one. it out, man. And yeah. there's a really cool, um, I don't know the name of it, but you just kind of Google around. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a cool challenge mod too, which is like, I would never do it, but it apparently takes every, like every battle require is really tricky like i think the random encounter rate went down mm-hmm. a little bit but everything can kill you like it turns into like jrpg dark souls oh wow. um you know and you have to like kind of do all you know use all your wits hmm. so uh, yeah the people mod the fuck out of it so if that's something you're interested in um you can definitely find it I might um, it doesn't speak to the achievos but um yeah, yeah you should i i would <laughs> i would love to hear you talk about it like in, i don't in, think i would do it but... in three years when i feel like looking at this game again <laughs> yeah exactly exactly yeah, yeah. What's Ryan say? Um, Ryan says, I've gone through an experience similar to Cole's with regard to Final Fantasy VII. When I was really young, like from ages 10 to 13, my life was basically a symbiotic bond with this game. It just absolutely inhabited my consciousness and identity for almost a solid three or four years. My feelings on it turned once I started hanging out on the snarkier corners of the internet in my mid to late teens, and I found myself being one of those people who derided Final Fantasy VII and everyone that enjoyed it for a long time. I think that as I grew, matured, and became a more self-actualized person, I have come to realize that it's okay for me to genuinely enjoy things that maybe aren't perfect. During a recent playthrough, I've come around on my feelings on Final Fantasy VII again. It's not perfect, but it's a fairly solid game that ultimately defined my early teenage years, and I am okay with that. (laughs) So, yeah, Yeah. thoughtful response. Agreed, I think, you know, I think we both agree with you there. Don't get ruined by internet snark. 
Yep. 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 Yeah. Amy Holbrook wrote in uh, via Facebook. Uh, there is a bit of a preface here, uh, just kind of in summary. She had a friend uh, who, or has a friend that she keeps in touch with by playing weird, uh, weird old games uh, along with them. She wanted to do uh, the Dark Souls DLC with them, but they really couldn't do that for some reason. So they ended up bonding over Final Fantasy VII. Then when they were talking about doing self-imposed challenges, uh, hmm. picking up with what she actually uh, said here, I think we all have such a visceral reaction to FF7. I absolutely do. Uh, because it was so related to a certain time. The first time I played Final Fantasy VII uh, was sleeping over at a friend's, age 12. Didn't sleep at all. Just plowed straight to Gold Saucer overnight. Wow. Um, mm. <laughs> now it looks now it looks like it hasn't aged well in a lot of ways. But I'm sure everyone's. But as I'm sure everyone's saying, the ways it blew my mind at age 12 kind of override the negatives. Uh, I go into the cast for seven. Sorry, I go into the cast for seven, like almost nervous. I mean, it's the big one. Uh, but as soon as you start taking uh, talking about the stuff, I'm nodding and saying, man, it's so good. So as a side note, great work on that episode, by the way. Uh, I got a lot of mileage out of a discussion about Marlene's educational opportunities this weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear more about challenge runs for this game. Like, I've never done it, but I know that there's a lot of possibility to it. When Aiden mentioned on the Bonfire Side Chat special appendix episode about people speedrunning the game, mm-hmm. um, I considered, you know, sitting down and watching a speedrun. But I would think a speedrun in this game would still end up being like 20 hours, and that's like a long... <laughs> there, there are TV shows I should watch. I seem to have a recollection of him saying it ended up being like 12 hours long. Yeah. Yeah. Still, still pretty long. I'd be interested to check it out, though. Like... Mm-hmm. The uh, I'm just spoiled by Dark Souls speedruns of about an hour. Yeah. Like the uh, it's like watching a football game. <laughs> um, yeah, the kind of self-imposed challenge stuff. Like, do we? Uh, I, like, I'm, I'd be interested to hear more about that. Yeah, because uh, yeah, I haven't messed around with that in this game. Kate Sith only. <laughs> yeah, Kate. Yeah, Kate Sith only. Uh, Final Destination. No <laughs> items. Um, <laughs> MLG. Yeah, MLG. What are you casual? Um, <laughs> Hong Kong says buy us something awful. <clears throat> Final Fantasy VII was the reason I bought a PlayStation. I got it home and played and played and played and completely missed that a memory card was needed. Oh. <laughs> so I left left the game running for two days or so before I could finally save. <sighs> this, this isn't a suicide note, so like it, it all turns out okay. Um, uh, God, this game has some ugly polygon messes outside of the battles. Additionally, I know this might be hearsay for some of you, but I didn't like the music as much as the earlier Final Fantasy games. At around the same time I got the Sugar Ray album floored, <laughs> so I, or at the same time I got the Sugar Ray album floored, so I played the game listening to that album on a loop, with the game music not muted. Um, so now, whenever I see a scene from the game, I can't help thinking something is wrong. There's no Sugar Ray playing as though it were 16 years ago. Also, fuck, now I feel old. Um, <laughs> of all the memories of Final Fantasy, however, there is one that I feel cannot be topped. My brother is the master of the grind. Give him some arbitrary goal, and he'll single-handedly uh, strive, single-mindedly strive to complete it. One day, he was home from school sick and had nothing to do, so he apparently plopped down on the couch and decided to play Final Fantasy VII. He started a new game and noticed that the very first screen you control Cloud had random encounters. I can't possibly imagine what the next few thoughts were, but when I came back from school... He was still walking up and down next to the train, slaughtering soldiers for a pittance of experience. I thought it was weird, and I went on with my afternoon. Eventually, I came back with two of my friends and bore witness to what my brother had achieved. He had somehow ground Cloud to the low 40s in level. He then proceeded to use the second level uh, three limit break skill to kill the boss. As the game went on, 
Rather than use the chocobo to cross the swamp, he simply killed the giant snake thing. It was, Reed still is, the craziest thing I've seen in person involving video games. <laughs> yep. And Kate Sith and Vincent not having full sets of limit breaks still makes me feel like the game was only partially half-assed slash unfinished, despite my love for it. Final word, word fuck Chocobo breeding. Okay, <laughs> so yeah. three things there. The memory card discussion, talking about Sugar Ray as it relates to Final Fantasy VII, and then the craziest story I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's really nuts. I've seen other people, like, people will definitely do that. Uh-huh. kind of thing like i feel like i've seen that online like in youtube but knowing one of those rare and special people <laughs> that's a, that, that's another thing entirely I, th- I think that your brother might be an indigo child <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> oh man so vivian lives uh via contact vivian from a uh, bonfire side chat guest there we know you're alive yeah <laughs> <laughs> you'll never believe what happened to me when I was in the seventh grade, the thing I was looking forward to the most was Final Fantasy VII. and marked it on my calendar, counted the days, seven and seventh. This is what they called kismet in Lost Constantinople. What I couldn't have anticipated were two words that would change my life forever. Honey Bee Inn. At the time, I was a burgeoning transvestite, having dipped my hand meekly into the world of starch petticoats and silk stockings. But being able to assume Cloud's role in those proceedings turned a light switch in my head, among other things. My pubescent sexuality and questions of personality, uh, our personal personality identity, all catalyzed at once as I completed the final set of squats to win those gorgeous blonde curls. In the back rooms of of the Honey Bee Inn, uh, I had seen the answer among the girls with stingers. I would be the queen bee, angel and demon, a glorious and terrible vision of perversity made flesh. I would drag the Don Corneos of this world into my hive and set them to endlessly laboring in the futile pursuit of my nectar. I shivered as Cloud shivered when that cool satin brushed his skin. Anyway, now that I've got everyone's attention, (laughs) (laughs) Final Fantasy VII has become a thing that is safe to dismiss, like Creed and Michael Bay. And like all the things that were safe to dismiss, the conversation around it has hit rock bottom. Those who like it do so meekly, shruggingly. Conce- uh, uh, conceding that perhaps it was just nostalgia, but asserting that at least the game was historically important, and that it still remains, uh, and, and that it still means something to them. Those who don't uh, lob a bunch of crippled, unfunny bits at it, propping it up uh, on a pocky cross, <laughs> a pocky <laughs> cross, and making it the martyr which needs to die for the sins of Japanese gating, gaming. Uh, <laughs> The truth about Final Fantasy VII is that it's a pretty good game, and hopefully this episode will contribute to a better discussion than we have seen about it uh, uh, any more recently. It isn't the best, my favorite, or my first Final Fantasy, but if missed all the rough edges and madcap nonsense, you get moments in Sephiroth's descent, uh, um, in Sephiroth's descent into madness and sheer audacious stupidity of everything to do with uh, Kate Sith that elevate the experience and make it genuinely fun to play. It takes it takes a beating for not holding up visually, but I think those pre-rendered backgrounds lend it a lot of life that other games of this era, and even a lot of games for the PS2, lack. They're stylish and interesting to look at, even with uh, sometimes, uh, even and sometimes especially when they're bizarre, ugly, or out of scale with the models. Yeah, we didn't talk about scale a lot, but it gets a little bit funky. Mm-hmm. Um, as with Final Fantasy Tactics, returning to it for your show has pleasantly surprised me uh, with a better game than I actually remembered, keeping in mind that my memories of FFT were loftier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we did do that. 
Um, Raising the discussion, probably one yeah. of the best message, probably one of the best responses we've ever read. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's Vivian. Vivian yep. is good. Yep. Um, yeah. Something about, you know, drones in a hive endlessly laboring <laughs> for your nectar. Like there's no, there's no subtext to that like, what, whatsoever. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you on just about all points. Um, you know, and, and hopefully the podcast bore that out. Um, you know, is kind of what, uh, what we think that idea of like, culturally accepted hate objects mm-hmm. is really interesting to me. Um, I try to move away from doing that, even though I've been guilty and I'm guilty mm-hmm. of it, you know, kind of using like a Creed or a Michael Bay as a punchline for, for things or a juggalo or something like that. Um, <laughs> just, you know, just the one juggle, you know, that you keep locked up in your <laughs> yeah, basement yeah, yeah, for so, the yeah, sins yeah, of society. Yeah, stabby Ron, <laughs> stabby, stabby Ron for dope. Um, <laughs> Yeah, stab you around for dope is always uh, hearing it when I when I need to hate something. Um, but yeah, I I, I agree mm-hmm. on uh, points. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Alan says via email. <clears throat> One of the cute things that every Final Fantasy does is set up an antagonist for the heroes and then pull the rug out from under that guy to reveal the actual villain. This happens in Final Fantasy VII when the president of Shinra is pinned to his desk with Sephiroth's sword. Up until this point, the president has been behind everything the party is fighting against. And so, on the first playthrough, you think he is the bad guy. Nope, it's the best villain in Final Fantasy history instead. I have played Final Fantasy VII more than any other Final Fantasy. The translation is terrible and muddied the story to the point where I had to play it again and again to understand what the hell was happening. And all the times I replayed it, I never thought of the theme of failure. That is really good. To me, Seven has always been about identity and a sense of self. It seems like if you do not define yourself, then you will be defined by others or by the events of your life. Cloud fails throughout the game until he defines himself with Tifa's help. Sephiroth's idea of himself is blown apart by the truth he discovers in the mansion. The new identity he makes pits him in a battle against the world. The power of this identity allows him to manipulate those who share Genova's cells and have a poor sense of themselves. He can control Cloud until he defines himself. Also, everything he tells Cloud about himself is meant to confuse and weaken Cloud's sense of identity, presumably so that Sephiroth can continue to control him. Sephiroth's strong sense of self can control Genova as well. She doesn't seem to actually have a personality, though. I guess she is more like an animal or a force. I've never considered throwing failure into that, but it's so obvious. You guys have opened my eyes up to something I have been playing for about 20 years. Pretty cool. Finally, here are some great pop cultural references slash allusions scattered throughout the game. Cloud's design is cribbed from Guts, or cribbed from Guts, the hero of Berserk. Genova is a shape-shifting alien that crashed land in the Arctic, just like the Thing. Shinra's human experimentation with Genova cells to create super soldiers is an allusion to Akira. Biggs and Wedge are Star Wars references. Uh, this is the first game to have 3D models for Jacobos, and they look like horse claws from Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind by Studio Ghibli. Um, there's an image link. Um, weapons are basically kaiju, and Eris is probably Jesus. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for vindicating the the failure yeah. theme, failure yeah, and thanks. identity. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't pick up on uh, all those references. Like, I mean, I, we we obliquely hinted at the last thing we recorded. <laughs> We're going to rectify this berserk thing at some point. Yeah, wink. wink. Um, <laughs> the the uh, and yeah. also I guess Nausicaa too, because mm-hmm. that was referenced in uh, the Dark Souls cast. Yeah, that is a blind spot in my uh, in my Studio Ghibli uh, yeah. vocabulary. Me too. Who, who, who are you going to say, who are you going to call as the best uh, Final Fantasy villain? Oh, man, it's so, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't know. I like Golbez, but that's just because I love Final Fantasy IV so much. Like, yeah. Judge Gabranth from Final Fantasy XII is actually really cool, but hmm, I don't know. It like just the 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 the, the fight between Kefka and Sephiroth. I don't know. I th- I think that I like Kefka more, but I don't. It's, it's so hard. Maybe Kefka. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I'm a big Kefka man. I yeah. think if I had to choose, um, just because you know, and probably just because I that's my favorite in the series. Mm-hmm. So I probably can't separate that. Yeah, but um, th- th- there's something here, like that last line about Eris probably being Jesus. It never like came up just because the entire <sighs> the entire series of episodes has kind of been talking about how goofy the Cetra thing is. But uh, I like an aspect of this story and the mythology behind it. Like you don't see a lot of games that take from judeo-christian mythology like this one kind of does you know with the you know jehovah slash sephirot kind of uh kind of thing the cetera being you know basically you know the tribe you know being uh you know jews um like just you don't see that you see norse you see uh you know greek you see all those kind of things that are brought through but this game is a little bit um unique in that sense like outside of persona where all all demons you know from the you know from any number of grimoires or grimoires are pulled in. But uh, like that is kind of cool to me, you know? No. Yeah. I mean, I, I could see, I feel like the, the Final Fantasy games have always kind of just done a grab bag mm-hmm. of mythologies. And that's part of why it's so hard to come up with a unifying like theme, how they fit in. Yeah. Because usually it's just, they just kind of take what they think, like the name of mm-hmm. like, and I'm not saying that to be dismissive. Like, it's just like, you know, we like how this sounds like Shiva has nothing to do with Shiva. Right. You know, ever like essentially sometimes in design, but yeah. nothing to do with like the mythological figure. So yeah. I would agree with you. That's like kind of a stronger, stronger link. Yeah. There. Like I feel like Judeo-Christian things have been used before. Like there are, there are like some biblical kind of themes in Final Fantasy four as well. Like, I mean, there's a little bit of that with like the kind of like Judas and, um, you know, him kind of like the being reborn. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, yeah, there's Christian mythology in, mm-hmm. in Final Fantasy games, but I guess yeah. like, you know, it's 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 strong here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I guess it pulls more from like you know uh, just the the Pentateuch, you know, Talmud kind of stuff, like talking about specifically Jehovah being God and then Sephiroth being the aspects through which God expresses itself. Like this is yeah. this is like like bringing that kind of weird sect to the forefront in this in a way that's really interesting to me. Are you so? Is this the first in a series of conversations that ends with uh, us starting a band called Genova's Witnesses? <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, I'm positive that exists. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So, um, but yeah, that's uh, that, that's good stuff. I, you know, Alan Alan's always good about pointing out those connections. So, thank you, Alan, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for for all of the work that you do. Um, Alex, Alex via uh, contact writes in, I was both excited and a bit worried when I heard you say you were, go- you were going to play Final Fantasy VII for the podcast. Uh, I was very afraid that it was a case of nostalgia keeping a game good in my mind. However, when I picked it up on Steam, released with such wonderful timing that it seemed like it was put on Steam just for use with this podcast, I found that it held up to the nostalgia. There were a few places where it got confusing, but facts helped out. The Materia system is unique and versatile enough to let you create interesting character combinations, although characters lend themselves to, uh, very slightly to certain roles, such as Yuffie with death blow spamming or Eris with healing. The game does suffer a little bit from Final Fantasy Syndrome, uh, with the main bad guy starting out as a plain but relatively strong dude to an evil cosmic witch... <laughs> 
<laughs> to, uh, to accidentally evil planetary forces to a cosmic evil dude. However, the fact that the antagonist at the beginning and the end of the game is the same person with different contexts as to how he became the villain uh, feels like it justifies the constant switching between antagonists. Finally, the game has two very memorable and, uh, and not extremely forced plot twists. First, of course, was Eris's death. But the more memorable plot twist, plot twist for my friends and myself was that Cloud wasn't really Cloud for a decent portion of the game. It was a little bit confusing at first, but I think I figured out uh, the point they were going uh, that they were trying to get across. I wonder, it could just be how it's written. I wonder yeah. if Alex thinks that there's a part of the game where you're not playing as Cloud hmm. because of how that's articulated. It might yeah. just be how it's written, though. That'd be interesting if you thought that. I haven't given any thought to that, but um, I, don't, I don't think that's what happens. I think it's just yeah. that. You know, it's a, it's a false twist. Like there's one regular twist and one fakey, yeah, like a faint. You know, yeah, um, like I, I think the twist is just that question of identity, which yeah. is that cloud laboring under the assumption that he was Zach. Yes. Yeah. Um, I I guess I, I didn't really mention it when Alan brought it up. Like I don't. Uh, it's I. It's very hard for me to see that villain switching stuff in Final Fantasy games as a strength. No. no in in any of the series. Um, Alan just calls but, it a cute thing that it does. Yeah, I guess maybe that's a little bit. Maybe he's writing it a little bit just because it's it always happens mm -hmm. you know there but i and it's the same thing we were talking about in the last episode about the clone saga like if i'm going to build up feelings against something don't take it away from me mm -hmm. you know and that's i guess maybe that's why i love kafka so much because i feel like in for final fantasy games like he stays you know it starts off with a little bit it's like just the empire in general but he's always been part of the empire mm -hmm. like kafka never be you know is never zeromas like he he, ne he never yeah so so they definitely don't pull like oh it was a it was a moon wizard the whole time but like yeah. Kafka from the start just kind of comes across as like an especially evil henchman yeah, yeah yeah but he's I mean he's always the you know pretty early on you figure out that he is the the serious threat yeah you know, he's yeah. like poisoning Doma and shit mm -hmm. so like I feel like that might be why he's he's head and shoulders for me mm -hmm. is just because like it's always him. You know, he like he changes into a big monstrosity, but it's still the same guy. Yeah. And it's because he is close to accomplishing his plans. Mm -hmm. You know, the worst in that in that idea is nine. Nine does that worse than any game I've ever played. Like, I hate the antagonist of nine. And I really like nine as a game. Mean, but I feel like. Do you mean Kuja or uh, or, or, or ne Necros? Both. But yeah. like, I think Kuja is so bland as to be like non-existent. And then they replace it with a really generic like space boss. Like mm -hmm. I can't, I can't say, I can't remember a single thing about Kuja. Yeah. Like Kuja is so terrible. And I really like that game, but like mm -hmm. that they do that Final Fantasy syndrome thing, like the worst. Yeah. The worst. And, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep on talking about 12, you know, just to everybody's chagrin, but they pull it off. They pull it off kind of well with that, in that the enemy all along is, you know, vain, is mm -hmm. is, is is the empire, and he's just being uh, manipulated by, um, you know, this god, this basically defector from the pantheon. Mm -hmm. You know, so they, they 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 lay it out, and it's never really about any of the people that you see. That just happens to be almost their concession to this trope. Yeah, yeah. Stop conceding to that trope. Yep, people. <laughs> Spe specifically um, anybody who's ever worked on a final fantasy game <laughs> yeah come on yeah um sam says via contact final fantasy 7 means more than nostalgia to me it reminds me of how distorted my childhood priorities were on countless nights it was the reason i would shout just a minute across the house before inevitably eating a lukewarm dinner without complaint my friend had a copy of the strategy guide and i probably called his house two to three times a day for a week asking him to look up stuff for me 
When I finally faced Sephiroth, I had Tifa, Sid, and Cloud at level 99, equipped with Knights of the Round and all sorts of other time-consuming materials. Uh, kids are in it to fucking win it, and no <laughs> tremendous barrier of time, effort, or social cues will stop them. Thoughts on the replay? I was shocked to see how little development or characterization Eris is given before she dies. I didn't feel a thing, and it makes the whole uh, waifu treatment even more bizarre and out of touch to me. Like you guys say, there's a big divide between the stories this game tells or implies and how it executes them, and Eris's backstory, struggles, and sacrifice are a ni nice arc done flatly. I wonder if there's a fan translation that smooths things out. With the combat, I was really surprised to learn that I went through the whole game without any grinding or strategy guides. I got to Sephiroth with my team in their mid-40s, still on their second limit sets, and got to the final boss before getting wiped by the awesome Supernova summon. <laughs> it's great to see a combat system that let me sprint right to the end, but also was deep enough to allow a younger me to benefit from traveling the world, picking up W Summon, Omni Slash, and the rest. Yeah. So Yeah. I, <laughs> go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say uh, just uh, the last thing first, just because it's a little bit... Like it's, it's simpler. Mm -hmm. Um, I agree with you. Like that, that's, that's, that's a great thing. I don't feel like that doesn't always happen with these video games. Like you never need to do all of the, the pink tail stuff, which maybe we should come up with a different word for it. If like pink tail implies a randomness and <laughs> yeah. chocobo breeding doesn't really, you don't need to do the chocobo breeding, you know, to, to win. Very few games make you do that to win, but there are games that you need to be significantly like kind of further along to get further into it. Mm -hmm. You know, and the thing is with like your mid forties guys, like even getting wiped out by supernova, you know, some M barrier action and some, uh, you know, clever material swapping. Like you could beat them with that, mm -hmm. you know, um, that is a big strength of how this game kind of works. Yeah. Empowerment arc wise. Mm -hmm. so. Um, uh, speaking to the waifu treatment, this is something that we've somehow gone 10 hours without mentioning, but, uh, there is probably one of the best pieces of audio that's ever been committed to the internet is episode 39 of dead idea Valhalla. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's entitled The Good Waifu. You can find it on the network. Um, you know, go there, download it, listen to it. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. That is vaguely connected to Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> it's entirely so, connected yeah, to Final Fantasy yeah. VII. Yeah, I forgot that, that it has Final Fantasy VII, VII yeah. references all over it. Like, um, I, I listened to it, and I kind of thought it was real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember texting you and asking, is this is this dude, is, is, is this dude for real? <laughs> um <laughs> I, I shan't spoil it. Anyone wants to uh, to yeah. check it out? Yeah. So, um, yeah. The second bit, though, I think you know, I agree with you. Like, it, it is something where you unfocus your eyes and try to see what they're going with with Eris. Mm -hmm. um, the waifu treatment thing, I think, just came where this was kind of laser guided to an age where people were probably susceptible to, uh, you know, gaining a waifu. <laughs> like, yeah. like, where, like, if, bag, if they were going to get to bag themselves gonna, a waifu. Yeah, if they, if, they, if they were going to to fixate on a potential waifu, they needed to, you know, they were probably around, you know, between 13 and, and 17 when this game came out, yeah. you know, burgeoning sexuality, like uh, all producing so much nectar. And then, you know, the, a character comes along who is like an explicit love interest, which didn't happen all that often. Like mm -hmm. you always get the impression in Final Fantasy four of Cecil and Rosa's relationship being very chaste. Mm hmm. You know, like they're very pure. It is a very knightly, courtly yeah. romance. Um, the romance in, you know, in Final Fantasy VI was like Locke and Sellas, which is not played out right. that much. I mean, and they, you know, they even do it like when, when Cyan is sending those love letters. Like it's, it's sillier. This is, you know, it feels a little bit more, not, not adult, but a little bit more serious. Yeah. You know, and a little bit more, I guess, intense, mm -hmm. mostly in like the presentation, not so much in the words that are spoken. Right. Like I would agree with you that Eris is like a, 
like, you know, there's not very much characterization to her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get very many like spotlight scenes. And that's a kind of a concession, concession of her being a party member. So you, you know, they had to give you the freedom to leave her out for as much of the game as you want, you know? So, yeah. yeah. But if you, but if you kind of see what they're going for and you pick up on the music cues and the visual kind of cues and, uh, you know, think with your heart instead of with your brain, like it, it kind of makes a sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, there's a, there, there's, there's a trope that's brought up, but like, think of like, uh, you know, ah, man, what is it? The girl from almost famous or Maude from Harold and Maude, like the man, the manic pixie dream girl. Like yeah. she pretty much just exists to like talk, like to like, to like hint at clouds connection to Zach before that even becomes a thing. Right. And yeah. I, and to kind of like talk you up, like you know, mm-hmm. when she's kind of roped in by the illusion, like we have mm-hmm. this player character surrogate for the, you know, for the, for the player that there's this kind of like, you know, pretty girl who's con- like pretty impossibly pure, untouched by anything, like literally like a flower in the middle of this, mm-hmm. this city, um, you know, kind of just constantly talking you up and encouraging you. And, yeah. and, and so it, like, it makes sense that that would confuse the wiring mm-hmm. in some poor people's brains <laughs> to make them want to rub their penis on a pillow until <laughs> they ejaculate on it. Like, until they die. Until they produce nectar. Like it makes, it makes a sense, but like it, it's, <laughs> it doesn't make it not a, not a neurosis. <laughs> I, I, I'm not afraid of offending waifu havers. No, no, it's fine. It's no, if, fine. if you have a pillow waifu, like, hey, go fuck yourself. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, feel, like, I feel a little bit bad, but that's pretty gross. I'm sorry if I offended any listeners, but that's gross. That's funny. Yeah. Um, Christian writes in via contact to ask, uh, to ask a question that we kind of already answered, but saying, you've done Final Fantasy VI, uh, now that you're doing Final Fantasy VII, so it begs the question, Kefka or Sephiroth, which is your favorite villain and why? I know this is a hotly contested issue for some Final Fantasy fans, but I was wondering what your opinions were. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. I, I feel like I, I at least uh, for my part, asked and answered. Yeah. So um, so for, for me being somebody who's, you know, relatively on the fence about it still, like looking at the motivations. So Kefka basically says, you know, since we are all fated to die, there is no reason for anything to exist anymore. So he's got kind of that uh, uh, Nietzsche-esque thing happening. Um, and you know, whereas Sephiroth is kind of working from a motivation of, you know, the, the, the identity kind of thing. So I feel like Sephiroth is just like a little bit more textured and why he's doing it, but Kefka just pulls it off so much better. I feel like a lot of the identity theme stuff in Final Fantasy seven doesn't have very much to do with Sephiroth. Like he manipulates identity Oh yeah, and everything, but no, at the no, end of the like... day, like his motivation for it, like there's only a, like if, if the end, end of the equation is destroying the planet, mm-hmm. there's a limit to the amount of motivation that can be in the first part mm-hmm. of the you know, the nuance of the motivation that can be in the first part of yeah. the equation. No, so, so so I think that, like, he went from being this orphan who was, you know, raised by Shinra to be a killing machine to finding out, like, just kind of the, the, the horrible secret of my existence in that Lovecraftian kind of way. And then wholeheartedly trying to assume, you know, what he saw as being his birthright. That, you know, the, the, the identity that he was robbed of by the first part of his life, you know, by taking after Genova to be, you know, this, you know, galaxy-wandering planet devourer right right yeah yeah, so yeah i can, can kind of see it to I become get, a god so like that's where the identity thing comes comes in for me i guess like what i my my point would be is that when it comes to you know final fantasy antagonist you're never going to get a really strong motivation because mm-hmm. the way the scale these games work on they're always going to want to take over or destroy the world mm-hmm. one way or another yeah you know so like it's it's the motive like that's it's something that's hard for me to look at 
mm-hmm. in relation to them. Like I don't, I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying that like it sucks that it's it's you know these games. I and mean, this is an old point we keep making it, but mm-hmm. it sucks that the the scale of these games is blown up to the degree that those are the only possible options. Yeah, like you're never going to play a Final Fantasy game where you're not fighting somebody who's trying to do one or one of those two things. And in that regard, Kafka probably wins because he actually succeeded. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that is true. <laughs> yeah, I always thought of him as like a key, like a Heath Ledger Joker. Yeah, kind of yeah. thing. I like just kind of like you know some men don't want to. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah, the uh, but yeah, that, it's man. It's just it is a shame that these games feel forced to work on that scale. Mm-hmm. Like literally, like we could go through every antagonist in a Final Fantasy game and <laughs> compartmentalize those into one of those two spots. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing in between and no <laughs> other thing. That sucks. Mm-hmm. No wonder people you know look down on this media. Like, <laughs> yeah. like when you next time you're at a like the school library and you tell somebody that like. Final Fantasy is is important literature. Like, think about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not I'm not arguing these are without artistic value because mm-hmm. it's definitely there. But man, does that that is a huge, you know, kind of like training wheel. Yep. On this as as a grown up <laughs> thing to think about. It's like trying to like like, like working with a student who just you know like kind of like okay they start out and they're they you know they're just kind of like okay we're writing this story and then it's like okay so it's about these people and you know they're. You know, they're, they're kind of working under these assumptions about themselves, but they're false. And then a meteor comes and they're it's like, no, no, so yeah. let's back uh, no. up. Stop let's back it. up. Stop. Stop it. Stop. Yeah. Get, what's in your mouth? Yeah. What's it? You, you, start, you put that down. <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's no space God, you know? God, like, is that disappointing? I never actually thought about it in, the, in terms of the whole series. Monumentally disappointed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thanks, Christian. Uh, <laughs> go home uh, now. Oh, wait, I'm already home. I'm just going to sulk. Yeah, yeah, I'll go sleep now. Um, <laughs> Corey says via contact. Uh, did you or anyone else you know have the heiress death totally spoiled for you by other kids on the schoolyard? Are we spoiling it by talking about it now? I had it spoiled for me just before it actually happened. When I got to the ancient city, there was a spectral clownfish covering the steps leading down to Eris's death chamber. I did not know at the time that the player just uh, just has to explore the, the city and come back. So I was frustratingly stuck. When I asked some other kids at recess what to do about the fish, they all instantly started talking about how great the death scene was. <laughs> I'll never have the chance to experience the surprise. Did that happen to anyone else you know? Um, I feel like I don't think it's I, – I think that I maybe watched it over at my buddy Derek's house. Mm-hmm. I ended up watching him play a lot of this game before I played it. So it wasn't spoiled for me because I got to see it, but I think I didn't have like a 100% pure experience mm. in that way. You know what? I don't have any recollection of if I came into it clean or not. I think that I knew something bad was going to happen. Like mm-hmm. I, I knew that. Okay. So that there was a twist, not specifically what the twist was or who it, or, or who it applied to, but I could, I, I could just be rewriting my memory to make it so that I experienced it in the most optimal way, which is entirely fresh. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you know. the, and I point out on Facebook the commercials for this showed you lowering her into the water. Yeah, you know, so it's like you could you could argue that as well. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's much harder to like, much easier back then to avoid that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's like I feel like if I don't watch Breaking Bad the day it comes out, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm fucked. Yeah. So you know, just I'm not going to try to. It's just going to happen. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> don't have to seek it out. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that our like my playground was more lousy with people like talking about ways to get her back. Mm, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Super fun. If you if you guys are it's not on here, if you guys are enjoy Vivian's writing because you should, go to our Facebook page and she posted on our wall like uh the steps. 
<laughs> yeah. how, to, how to do yeah. that. Yeah, so I posted a video talking about uh, the demise of Cat Slide. <laughs> yeah. Then, well, she then... she posted the first thing. She posed, posted R.I.P. Cat Slide. Yeah. And then you posted a video about R.I.P. Cat Slide. <laughs> and then she posted, and then we, I asked everybody to tell us how to get Cat Slide back. Yeah. And got, everything was good. It yeah. wasn't just Vivian. Everybody's was great, though. Yeah. and finally randall via contact writes in i've got a couple of thoughts i wish i could have four people in your party i wish you could have four people in your party rather at once Uh, i like the characters in seven more than in most ff games and i hate having to choose i was really happy when they went back to four for final fantasy nine second do you think that we'll ever get a war of the lions or ff4 style update of seven I think they could do a lot to shore up this game's legacy by re-releasing it with a fresh coat of paint, some new CG, new English script, new battle models, or something. They probably wouldn't need to redo the backgrounds or art assets if they put uh, it on phones and on the Vita or something. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, like we we talked about this a little bit. Like the developers have actually come out and said, like we're not going to do a full on remake if they, um, you know, if we can't get the whole team together. I don't know if this is what Randall is talking about. I think that just referring to like they did with Final Fantasy Tactics, giving it a better a better uh, translation. If they weren't going to do that for the PC version they they, they just released, I don't know if they are ever going to. Yeah, um, them adding cheat mode and achievements was them doing that. Yeah, I feel like as the closest thing we're gonna get. Which which, yeah. which is sad because like it, like the thing that would benefit from most is a is a new translation, which I'm sure there are people who want to do that. Right, 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 right. The uh, I feel like the like smarter people than than me have already kind of tackled this. Pro- this is a perennial question in like gaming podcasts. Yeah, yeah. People who are more you know have interviewed the people who would make the decisions <laughs> have kind of weighed in on it. To me, it seems like the way that like you know, Square is not doing great business-wise. Mm-hmm. Like, if they wanted to sink, if they, you know, got rid of their, uh, you know, principle of making sure they had everybody together to do it, mm-hmm. it seems like it would make them a lot of money Yeah, if they did that instead of the, the PC version. And it's rare that people make decisions that result in, you know, don't result in them making money, mm-hmm. or rare that people don't make decisions that will result in them making money. Um, I don't think it will happen, but it's kind of, you know, weird that it hasn't more mm-hmm. than just being a shame, which I think we can all agree on. Yeah. I think it's kind of weird that it hasn't because you wouldn't have to do too much to, to repackage it and just, you know, you'd be able to save yourself a lot of work yeah, and, uh, and get a lot of, can, lot of cash. Can you imagine if they said, Hey, we're interested in doing this, the scramble that would take place among like console manufacturers or platform owners to make sure that it landed on their console. It would probably not be exclusive now that that's like yeah, almost yeah. Not, a, not a thing. But just like, I'm just you know? thinking like this would move a system if it was on that. I, I wonder about that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it would. Like there's tons of nostalgia for it. Mm-hmm. You know, and tons I of just, people remember it fondly. I just don't, I wonder if that's true. I think that, like there, I, that there are a lot of people like roughly our age who may have like fallen away from games who that would probably, you know, cause a thought in their head to bring, like to come back to it. Yeah. Maybe it seems like that might be the kind of thing that's hard to market for, though. Too. Oh yeah, yeah. where it's like that returning kind the of thing. Like, is back. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, especially when you start thinking about like, you know, what like gaming as a whole, where like, mm-hmm. you know, Call of Duty folks, like you start thinking of like a marketing perspective, like mm-hmm. game players in general. I wonder if like the people who buy Madden every year and buying every Call of Duty um, would be that into it. I also know that even you know if we hadn't just done this episode as fondly as I remember it. Uh, Final Fantasy VII re-release probably wouldn't be enough to make me want to buy a console. Mm-hmm. It might be like another chip on that side of the scale, yep. but it wouldn't move a system mm-hmm. 
you know, for me. And I mean, I'm a cranky old man, so like that's part <laughs> of it. But the uh, yeah, I wonder it might it might do that. Yeah. It seems like it seems like regardless of which, it seems like you know to to Randall's point, you know, a lot of the background stuff looks really good, even if you just updated it as good as the mods that I've seen mm-hmm. and did a new translation. I think people would have been pretty psyched for it. Yeah. So yeah, the, the the translation would have been key. That would yeah, been. yeah, that's really and and that's like not a flashy thing to market. Nope. So like when you talk about it being like a system mover, like just like brand new translation, like that's not gonna <laughs> like holy shit, I'm gonna buy a, a yeah. PS4 with a new translation of Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> like I, I feel like they've kind of uh, made redundant some of that stuff just by putting it on PC because people mm-hmm. are already modding it, or they were before, but people are continuing to mod it. There's probably a translation mod out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like these things that you want with a uh, Final Fantasy VII re-release, I think you have available to you now because they've been crowdsourced, mm-hmm. you know, which is what, like, I'm not, not trying to be all MLG gaming, PC gamer for life, but, like, a big reason why PC gaming rules is because you can do this stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I'm playing through Dark Souls, Grave Lord it myself. <laughs> That's great, you know? Um, can't do that on Xbox. Yeah. So... Yeah. I I look at it kind of like uh, what is it? There's a there's a cut there's there, there there's a fan cut of episode one that apparently makes it a good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star Wars episode one, sorry. Um, and then there's also like a fan cut of Final or not Final Fantasy Star Star mm-hmm. Wars episode four. I'm all mixed up here of Star Wars episode, episode four that makes it even better. Like there are lots of people who are willing to do free work. To, yeah, you know, on these things, just because you know, just out of love for it, and that tends to happen in those corners. Um, and you know, PC definitely lends itself to DIY, DIY, yeah, yeah. DIY. So that's yeah. Mm-hmm. So in in closing, MLG, <laughs> are you casual? Are um, you casual? Is that a thing? Yeah, uh, right, it's, it's it's a big Dark Souls meme thing. Mm. Like I, that's where I see it. It's probably everywhere else too, but. They spell casual, it, it, missing one of the letters. I don't know which one it is. Is, is. is it like a question, like saying, are you casual? Like, just kind of like, oh, you know. You, yeah, like, what are it, you, it, casual? It, it explains why you suck, because you're casual. Bleh. Yeah, but no, when, when I say it's a thing, people are using it ironically. But it's uh, also okay. becoming, it's like the do you even lift. Like, where it's like people say that, <laughs> they're making fun of something, but now it's I annoying because they're. I had, to, I, had to, I had to put that in a video recently. Do you even lift? I hmm. don't understand it. Like, yeah. like somebody like, like, like the person I was working with on, it was like, Oh, put this in here. I was like, Oh, okay. Like, what does that mean? What is, do you even lift? It's a meme. Like if you Google it, like you'll find the original thing. <sighs> just internet, buddy. It's just internet. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> it's just a website. Um, yeah. I don't know. So yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a whole shitload of responses about, uh, about, about yeah. Fantasy seven. Yeah. Do you have a preference in three characters or four characters? I like four. I'm uh, I'm with uh with Randall. Yeah, I like four. Um like I, I like having healer, attacker, uh magic user and then a utility mm-hmm. person. I feel like I had to kind of double those up in Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah. You know, so mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Bubba T, do you have a friend in real life? Do you even lift? That's via yeah. a bodybuilding forum. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then now it's it's become super obnoxious. If you want to watch, if you want to explain why memes suck or see an explanation, Vanavidja, who does all the really good Dark Souls videos, does a big like examination of what the problem with like doing this, like like it's it's great. Like you're trying to steal some identity mm-hmm. from an inside joke that you weren't on the part of, and like it's just a really good examination of like how that devalues it and how you're just kind of, you know, not creating anything original and yeah. So yeah. even though I mean we were we're making fun of it and kind of 
you know, be careful what you pretend to be. Like we're playing into it as well, but it's a really mm-hmm. good, uh, I'll throw in the show notes. Anyone listening to this could stand to watch that Vada Vidya video. Cause it's great. Yeah. So, huh. so do we want mm-hmm. to button it up? Yeah. Let's, let's button this shit up. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be happy. I, for one, am going to be happy to no longer talk about or think about final fantasy seven for a while. Yeah, me too. No, yep. no, we said it. Let's like, yeah, the I know. Let's never do this again. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to be. Well, but then we proceeded to record this, so like <laughs> now it's for real. <laughs> now we for real get to never, uh, never do this again. Um, we'll do it again at some point. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Yeah, people, yeah. people. There's all those Final Fantasy games are just waiting for me to fall apart. Like every single, <laughs> I, I can just imagine all the 32-bit ones having the exact same arc where it's like <laughs> both of us really excited for the first two thirds, yeah, and then just like. What's this orphanage bullshit? <laughs> what? No, 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 no. You know, just who? Who's actually behind it? Like Necros? Like, and then just the uh, I could see that happening for each and every one of these games. Memoria? What the fuck? Yeah, exactly. If we ended up doing that, like, like a string of podcasts, like if we had the time and, and oh no, no inclination, each one it would be like you could graph it as like a sine wave of like you know just like a a, a, a you know, re- very, very high angled kind of arc and then like a precipitous drop and then the same thing over and over. If you plugged it into a synthesizer, it would sound like a fucking New Order song. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, the August, the August. Yeah. <laughs> I believe so. So we, we've literally doubled the amount of time that we that we talked about uh, uh, Earthbound. You know that, right? Uh No. Yeah, no, we, I didn't know that. We, we spent four and a half hours talking about Earthbound, and we, like we're approaching ten on Final Fantasy VII. Wow. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> good for us. Good for uh, us. Yeah. So, everybody, if you're listening, the next game that we're doing is uh, Monkey Island Two. We're going to be yep. joined by Ron Gilbert uh, for a very special part of that episode. Yep. Yep. Then After I- that, uh, Kirby Superstar, mm-hmm. uh, joined by Kickstarter backer and uh, awesome dude um, we see on the forums all the time, Sam Anderson. Yeah. And. and uh, uh, after that, and, Bioshock. Uh, yeah, regular old Bioshock. Mm-hmm. Not, uh, not Infinite, nor 2. But it's the first episode of Wolf. Yes. Uh, watch out for Lens Flayer. And uh, so if you have responses to any of those things, please go to duckfeed.tv forward slash contact. Yep. And also, um, there is the uh, Facebook page. Um, follow us on Twitter. I am at Cole Ross. Gary is at Gary Buh, B-U-H. Yep. And uh, so go to and all the various social media things. Mm-hmm. Do that. Listen to our other shows. Um, ratings, reviews, all that stuff. Um, Kickstarter stuff is creeping out. I am mm-hmm. I am half more than halfway done with. I'm out of the fifty Mario Paint songs. I'm going to do total. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are for Kickstarter backers. I have thirty two written, so <laughs> I am making good progress for an October release, which was my goal. Cool. Um, and I'm slowly but surely assembling Perler magnets. Yep. <laughs> We're getting our, our physical stuff out. I just got um yeah I just got one of our physical tchotchkes in the mail. Mm-hmm. How do they and look? they look good. Yeah, they look great. I'm using one of them, so oh, like I, I skimmed a little off the top of the tens of thousands of those things we have. That's that's malfeasance, Gary. Yeah, well, that's right. That's right. I will let the court of public opinion judge me for stealing that. Um, yeah. Yes. Anywho. <laughs> anyway, uh, duckfeed.tv slash tip jar. If you're going to be, uh, if you're going to buy anything off of Amazon, that helps us out. Uh, we've talked for a very long time. It's been like a four hour recording session. So, yep. and you're going to hear us talk more now with deleted scenes. You yeah. know, there aren't that many because we started becoming aware that we need to get hit the ground running. So, yep. um, but check out those, watch out for those and also watch out for fireballs. Supernova. What's up? Uh, nothing. Um, had an exceptionally long day yesterday. 
Um, was yesterday the ballooning day? Yep. So I took the day off. Um, got up at four to go out to the the ballooning pit, <laughs> and uh, did that. It was really fun. <laughs> it's an it's an experience. Yep. Any intrigue? Uh, no, no balloon related intrigue. Mm. Um, it's very uh, it's very relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredibly relaxing. Like there is no sense like I will sometimes be uh, nauseated mm-hmm. and when flying or you know just motion in general. Right. Um, I'm not the best guy with like heights, mm-hmm. but something about the the method of conveyance wipes that away. Yeah. Like it's just it's not really a thing. Like you, it's mostly vertical. Like your horizontal is so there's no yaw movement, and then mm-hmm. your horizontal is so minimal and just up and down. Right. So essentially, it's like a very slow elevator um, <laughs> that you can see out the side of. And it was just, it was very relaxing. Yeah. Very, uh, very relaxing, very pretty. Um, it's kind of funny, like they, because it's smaller than I thought. Like I was expecting, for the number of people that are on it, like it wasn't crowded, mm-hmm. but you kind of stood, you know, next to a person right. while you're on it. And uh, they have a little heat blast thing, yeah. the, the torch to, to heat the air. And it's really hot and loud. And uh, it still manages to be relaxing while every once in a while just like <laughs> with like waves of heat coming at you. It still manages to be relaxing even though there's an operator who's opening a portal to hell. Yeah, that's exactly what it, it sounds like. It's indistinguishable <laughs> for something like that. Um, and our, our, you know, our pilot was real piloty. Like he had mm-hmm. like real, he looked like a pilot. He had a real pilot sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> Can you define a pilot sense of humor for me? Like, you know, goofy, like super goofy jokes. Yeah. yeah. Um, what did it, um, and then, like, I guess, like, we got to do, you don't always get, depends on the wind. Because you also don't, uh, they have, like, a vague idea where you're going to go, but <laughs> you go up and then vans follow you. Okay. I was going to ask, like, how do you control, like, do you land where you take off somehow, or? No, no, you land, like, um, they land, like, you know, 10 minutes away or so. Hmm. Um, the, uh, so, uh, and there's kind of these flaps that'll kind of steer, like, you can do a little bit of that kind of stuff. Right. But the wind was right, and we went over the river. He's, you know, he's like, we're going to do a thing. We're going to try to do this thing. When the wind's right, you can do what we like to call a splash and dash, which we, we touch down, touch the river, and then and then take off again. Oh, thanks. And then uh, the other people were doing it. We were watching all the other balloons do splash and dashes. And he's, like, he was real struggling, like, trying to get the splash and dash. And, like, at some point, you know, we were staying closest to him. And he's like, sometimes with a pilot, you get competitive. Competition gets into you. And he just... And then just kind of trailed off. Go to endanger our lives for the splash and dash, Captain Rod. But uh, we managed to do it. We splashed and dashed. Um, it's kind of crazy. Like the the you know the balloon goes onto the river, and then you're just floating on the river. Hmm. It's like a really inefficient boat. Like the boat would sink, <laughs> but he's just there's hot air holding it at the surface of the water right. without going under the surface of the water. Okay, so it's not so when you say splash and dash, I I think like okay, we're gonna get down, we're just gonna kiss the surface of the water with the bottom of our basket. No, we floated for a while. Oh, okay, down there, and then uh, and then took off again. But yeah, it was great. Um, huh. It looked you know looked real pretty. Um, I took some pictures of like because there's there's a wood treatment plant nearby right where we took off that isn't pretty. So there was a little while where we just had these like fabulous views of like. What looked like just like cesspools, mm-hmm. you know. So I took a bunch of pictures of like cesspools from the air, um, but then you get over like wine country and it's like real, real pretty. Right. So it was awesome, and the whole thing had a very like ramshackle kind of put together 
aspect of it. Like they had food, like you had breakfast when you landed, breakfast mm-hmm. and, and uh, mimosas. And uh, it was like all made by like a person. They're all like volunteers. Like a lot of people are volunteers. Mm-hmm. And dude, I don't know what's in it for them. Just, like whether they just a really passion like it. for ballooning. I guess. Like it was this whole weird, there are all these like vanity, so, like uh, license plate like frames. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'd rather be ballooning and stuff like that there. Like <laughs> I guess that is a subculture. Hot air ballooning. I, it's a gas. Yeah, there we go. Um, it's not actually, it's just air. It's hot air. Um, the, uh, which I guess is a gas. Yeah. But <laughs> it's, not, it's not like helium ballooning. It's not like, you know, uh, Hindenburging. Mm-hmm. The, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting, though. It's like there are people there who had been there before. There's these really cool old dudes around mm-hmm. who are like 90 and 96. Yeah. It was the 90-year-old's birthday. And he had a shirt that said, Old Guys Rule Surf Club. And then he had a hat on that said old guy old guys rule. And he was real funny. Yeah. Like he's just like this like goofy old man who's just having this little adventure. It was real cute. Huh. Um yeah, it was very pleasant. I could see like hot air ballooning being like very attractive to uh you know, Portland area hipsters who want an affectation. You would you would think that. Oh, yeah. But there's like, oh yeah, they were they were all like 50-year-old white people. Yeah. And just, like, it's, we were the it, youngest people there by far. It's nice to know that there that there is sincerity to it. Oh, yeah. yeah. There's, ton, there's tons of sincerity to it. Like, there's, <laughs> there's you know, this is actually, it wasn't in Portland. It's like in rural Oregon. Ah, okay. That the, the, the thing is actually at. But hmm. the, um, it's too, it's too complicated for an affectation. Yeah. Like, it's, it's too much of a production. Like, it, you know, takes a long time. You know, there's a lot of equipment. It takes a really long time to yeah. inflate and deflate the balloon and stuff like that. Like it's a little, it's not casual enough. Mm-hmm. To oh be, yeah, have, yep. be an affectation. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was, and I got a certificate, <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna scan and put because the top of it has this whole like, the balloon be known. Yeah, well, it's got a, it's got a toast like a balloon specific toast at the bottom, but then at the top it's got like a little be known that Gary Butterfield did something something with the grace of a natural aeronaut. Like it's this very like <laughs> flowery uh, thing that says you went ballooning. So yeah. very cool for like, and it was like a real nice uh, <clears throat> kind of date day because there was that. And then uh, we had kind of had the whole day because that's what happens when you get up at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. Like we got done with all of that and it was like 8.30 and I was like, what the fuck? You know, this is when I would ordinarily be going into work. I really uh, seriously considered for a moment like waiting until they were done to just watch them all. So yeah. I didn't have to deal with it. Like I was just kind of like, and but then just the having to, the risk of having something ruined for me slash wanting to read stuff as people were coming up with it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I want to follow I want to follow along in the something awful thread, you know. Mm-hmm. So like and so just, you can learn how much of a bitch Skylar is. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Like like <laughs> there, there there's good insight and good theorizing, but there's that fucking shit. Yeah, it's amazing that kind of stuff. And it's gotten people have gotten threat, threatened to be probated Yeah, for yeah. Stuff. They they've, you know, they've so like it's, it's it's much better than it was in the season 3 thread. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah. So like there's good stuff in there and like they like people notice things that i wouldn't have noticed but it's all couched in like when are they gonna bring up gray matter <laughs> like yeah like yeah. all that you need to know is that he like when's elliot gonna come back when's that late she's gone yeah <laughs> it doesn't matter shut up <laughs> um, let them let yourself be taken on a ride yes like it's not this is not an antagonal you know antagonistic relationship between you and vince gillian where he you have paid something and he owes you something like it's not a scale that needs to be balanced right you know like he does not owe you anything just let him do like have authorial voice well, and uh first off it's not realistic that they would use a magnet to get through that kind of wall 
Um, and then what if he had a solid state drive? Then they'd be fucked. Yeah. Yeah. That good, thing, good thing he didn't. Or maybe he did. Well, and no, it was encrypted yeah. anyway. They, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it didn't end up yeah. mattering. It was right. all that for naught. Also, they had to come up with something to release the tension after season four at Dimbald. Like, like in <laughs> yeah. storytelling terms, like you can't just, you know, have that not work. Right. You know, they needed to do a, like a, something really super dumb because they just uh-huh. had like, a, you know, one of the most intense three episodes in television history preceding it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so. Oh, man. So. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. yep, 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 yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Last of Us is real good. Yeah, yeah, I like it I'm... a lot. Cool. Yeah. Are you where are you at in it? Um, toward the end, I thought it was like in the middle, but I I cheated and looked at a fact just to see like the table of contents, and uh, yeah, it, it it like time definitely compresses as you go later on. It takes it takes place over the course of a whole year, mm. um, so it, it it speeds up. It's a whole year and a trip across the country. Um, mm. So they so they do uh, weird, but they make good choices with the pacing, so it's not a problem. Yeah, I think that I like it better than Bioshock Infinite, actually. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like is it, it is it what it what a uh, what I don't we never had our like grand you know talk out on Bioshock Infinite. Like what uh what makes what makes it better? What is better about it? Um, so the story is a little bit less ambitious, but it's better pulled off. Mm. Um, as much as I love like the weird quantum stuff in, in Bioshock Infinite, um, so there, there there's that. It's 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 smaller and it's kind of more intimate. Like it's mm-hmm. closer to. I mean, it's it's just like that. You know, it's it, it pulls from things that I really like. You know, the road, um, the stand, um, and then just kind of the survival horror elements of it too. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is legitimately scary in a lot of places. Um, that and kind of the gameplay loop is a little bit more satisfying. Like the it, it, you know it's you know, three person shoot mans and one person shoot mans, um, you know, relatively similar, but, uh, like the, the whole notion of stealth and conserving your resources makes the, uh, makes the actual like combat encounters a lot more satisfying and kind of like, gives them a little bit more weight than, mm-hmm. the, than, than the one person shoot mans and, uh, and Bioshock infinite, even with the powers and stuff. So hmm. like, like the, like the, the shooting, like the play is there, whereas it wasn't necessarily in Bioshock Infinite, which isn't a huge problem. Like it didn't, like that didn't take away from my enjoyment of Bioshock Infinite, but having it as, you know, a thing in Last of Us actually like, you know, helps make me look at it better. And I'm just comparing these in terms of like, oh, uh, which, which, you know, uh, AAA, you know, yeah, console like big, titles. big anticipated game to do. Yeah. Like yeah. more. Like the be interesting. I'd be interested to see what. Like if I ever get a chance to play it, which you know it'll need to be, need to get cheaper. Like I'm not going to buy a sixty dollar game, but the um, the my like I read like the all the quantum stuff in Bioshock Infinite I think is really awesome. Oh like, yeah, yeah, really awesome. Like uh-huh. I didn't have I, and the fact that it's ambitious, even though like you there are some creaks in how it's pulled off. Like mm-hmm. that's all. That's where almost all of my goodwill from Bioshock Infinite comes De- from. Definitely. So it's like hard, hard for me to think of something topping that mm-hmm. for me. However, like I had a lot of problems with how Bioshock Infinite played. Yeah. So like a game that plays better will also go a long way towards, yeah. you know, kind of balancing that scale. Yeah. So, and, and when I, when I'm, when I'm talking about like the, like the story in Bioshock Infinite, like I see it as two things, which is the quantum stuff, which I want everything to be like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the, you know, Comstock versus the, uh, revolutionaries yeah. but they, they tie the, like they tie into each other like one of them yeah. is a trojan horse to get the other one in true you know what i'm saying like it, like bioshock given is really subversive like it's mm-hmm. it is a a an indie game storyline hidden in like a triple a save the world 
kind right. of thing. Yeah. So like they're like I see them as as necessarily linked mm-hmm. in that, but like they, I just wish it you know was more fun to play. Right. Which I'm looking forward to saying over and over when we do Bioshock. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the, the just boy, this is so much more fun to play. There's nothing as fun as Big Daddy's in Bioshock Infinite. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing I say. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing as good as Big Sisters in Bioshock Infinite. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I have not played Bioshock 2. Um, oh, play it. Yeah. It's, it's tons of fun. Like, everything that everybody said about it is wrong. I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like, it's it's irritating that they go back to the well, you know, but if you if you like that well mm-hmm. and you get over that, like, it's great. And it's it's the combat, the mechanical stuff is better. Mm-hmm. it's the best of the series like in how it plays which is kind of crazy but i i think it's pretty true like the the situations in which you are like the really fun situations in which you have like your your big daddy and you are l- paying really close attention to the environment to strategize and see what you can use mm-hmm. against this encounter you're planning for are emphasized and your vocabulary is widened right for that so like the game feels like like mechanically it's about that like it's about, you know, this is my environment. Here are the tools. Here are my different options. I have this really hard thing in front of me. How do I plan it out? And that's like, to me, like that's the biggest gameplay hook, like in that series. Like yeah. that's really excellent. That's, I wish there were games that just did that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's, that's stronger in Bioshock too. Right. So it's like the story wise, like it's a little bit wanky. They go back to the well, but nothing that seems that out of like no individual moments that seem like they wouldn't, it doesn't have the kind of grand overarching meta you know, but thou must, uh, nest to it. Right. But all the individual story beats, like nothing feels like this shouldn't be in fucking rapture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's more, it's like a less ambitious story told in the same well-crafted world with better play. Right. So, yeah, the, the, I, I didn't not play it for a reason. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a poor sentence, but I'll stick with it anyway. No, it makes uh, sense. Like it, I, yeah. I very reasonably could have assumed like you just heard bad because it's kind of it's pretty hated on. So like right, right. you're just saying that you you weren't not playing it because it's shitty reputation. Yeah, I think I checked it out from GameStop once, and I played like a little bit of it, and then I just like neglected it because mm-hmm. I knew that it just would you know. I just I play games weird, and I'll play the first like I did with Spec Ops. I'll play the first you know two chapters or something like think like hey neat, and then there's this weird moment about four weeks later where I decide okay I put it back in, and then I just finish the rest of it in one sitting. Yeah, and that never came to be with Bioshock, so it was really just neglect at that point. Yeah, it's I recommend it. It's not like I mean it's not incredible, and like Bioshock One is a better game because it has all the neat stuff it does mm-hmm. story-wise but like bioshock 2 is more fun to play than bioshock 3 and as fun to play as bioshock 1 mm-hmm. so yeah so if i if i was smart and you know there's so many things like that happen this way but i i should have just like put it on my wish list for steam um yeah and then like been notified when it dropped on the sale it never showed up on the front page for any of them so yeah and it, and it probably will show up like it's on sale relatively frequently for like five bucks yeah, like it's never you know cheaper than that, but it's that it's for sure worth five bucks. I didn't think I bought it new. I think I bought it from like a Gamer's Gate sale thing. Mm-hmm. Like I have a physical copy. I think it was like thirteen seventy five. Right. I bought it for so and well worth it. Yeah. What I like, what I would like to do is get that and then like Minerva's Den. Yeah, and Minerva's Den is supposed to be really excellent. Mm-hmm. 